All right. My name is Josh Allen. Thanks for coming and listening to another episode of the Clay County Beacon podcast. Today I have with me Mary Bola, who is a current school board member and is running for re-election. Ms. Bola, thank you for joining us today. Well, thank you for having me, Josh. It's great to be here. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you making some time to talk to me. Uh, first thing I want to do is just let you, uh, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself. Who is Mary Bola and, and why do you want to be reelected to the school board? Mary Bola is an educator. I graduated from the uh, Valparaiso University in Indiana a number of years ago. We'll leave it at that. <laughs> My degree was in business. However, I immediately started working with the admissions office at Valpo and ended up working in college admissions for 20 some years. I left the university, we left Florida, moved down here in 1989. And most people remember December 23rd, 1989 is the last day that it snowed here. Yep. And our moving van showed up that day. Um, had was offered a job with the University of North Florida as their director of admissions and, and went to work there for about six years, ended up coming home one day and saying, I don't want to do this anymore. I've done this, as I said, for 20 years. I'm interested in changing careers. I want to go back to school and get a degree so that I can teach elementary education. My husband said, okay, let me get this right. You want to go back to school, get a second master's degree and make half as much money. <laughs> That's <Right>. exactly right. <laughs> yeah. And he said, will you be happy? And I've never looked back. I was in the school system here in Clay County for 17 years. Our children graduated from the school system in Clay County and we've been ex extremely happy here. Until the last few years that I was teaching, I was getting more and more disgruntled. And at that point, chose to run for school board. That was four years ago. I won the election, left my classroom November 18th, and was sworn in on November 22nd. I've, I feel that I've done a great job and want to continue um, doing that job for the citizens of Clay County for the next four years. That's great. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely... Uh, it's, it's a, it is a bit of a thankless job, right? Like, uh, you know, teaching and, you know, even being on the school board, like it is, you know, you, you, you never, I liken it to being in customer service, you know, got a pretty strong background and like dealing with customers and the public in general, people never call you to say, you know, we think you're wonderful. Right. So it is one of those things where the pay it doesn't and, happen frequently. Right. So the pay and the certification and all the, the things you have to jump through to, to be a teacher, you know, it's definitely something that most people I know that teach say it's really more of a calling than just a, a job. So, um, it truly is. so what do you feel like, you know, I guess like my next question would be, what, what do you feel like is uh, the role of a school board member, right? Like what, what is the, mm -hmm. what is the school board member's job in Mary Bola's mind? In, in quite simply, a school board member's job is to help set policy and approve the budget. Those are the two key things that we are responsible for. Now, in the past, there have been numerous school board members who have said, okay, so I get to attend one meeting a month. That's, that's sweet. That's all I want to do. When I left my classroom, I told my children that I was teaching at the time, I'm working with 24 the reason I ran for school board was so that I could work with 39,000 children, right. not just the 24 of you, but for the rest of the county. And one of the things that I've really been 
striving to do throughout my 10 years as a school board member is to not just to be expert for I do not I try to get across the county as often as possible. Whenever invited, I generally say yes. There have been some times when I have to say no, but whether it's for study or for a concert or a play or anything along those lines, I try to be as involved as possible with the, the students and the teachers here in the county. Um, I believe that that's what a school board member should be doing. And uh, in Florida School Board Association meetings, when I was training as a school board member with the Florida School Board Association, that's what they encouraged as well. Get into the schools, find out what, you know, if you're making a policy decision on a curriculum, get into the schools and see how that curriculum is being used. Right. If you're making a decision to add Montessori programs to Swimming Pen Creek Elementary, get into the school and, and observe the Montessori program. Um, if you're responsible for anything, you know, any of that we do, we give part of our budget does go to the charter schools. That was because I felt strongly that charter schools weren't necessarily needed. But I go to charcoals, I visit them, I find out how they're different from our public schools and what parents enjoy about them versus the public school. So those are the sorts of things that I see a school board member responsible for. To me, it's a full-time job. The pay scale is set by the state. It is not something that we get to decide on our own. <laughs> and right. since I'm being paid a salary, I feel it important that I do the full-time job for that salary and for the citizens here again. Yep. That's, that's, so it sounds like you would say that uh, you feel like a school board position is a full-time position. Cause I know, uh, you know, I, I'm sort of agnostic, like the job takes what it takes to, to get done. Right. And everybody mm -hmm. has a different opinion, but I know that some people, think that it's not technically a full-time job, but it sounds like, correct me if I'm wrong, you sort of think that, or you think that it is something where there is a full-time job's worth of work to be done as a school board member. There certainly could be, yes. And I, and trust me, it, I tried to teach, I tried to visit each of the 42, I guess you could, everybody has a different count depending on how you count our schools, right. um, virtual or not, whatever. Right. Um, but there are approximately 42 schools um, in our county and to visit each of those schools and be involved with each of them each year that I'm in the board on the board it truly does pretty much become a full-time job during the school year right during the summer obviously it's not as much but that's when we start working on the budget and that's when those meetings kick in as well so it's it is I perceive it to be a full-time job I'll leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it makes sense. And, that, you know, I think that's one of those, uh, in, to me, like, there are issues that are, like, important and, like, it's Im important to hash out differences on. But, like, whether or not it's a full-time job, like, to me, it's one of those things where it's like, okay, you know, people have their opinion and, and it sort of is what it is, right? I personally think that, like, you know, I would hope that someone would want to be involved in what they're making decisions on, you know, and understand the full scope of what they're going to impact by making decisions. And it sounds like, you, you know, that's, that's how you, 
you know, think about uh, being on the school board. So that's, that's yep. good to know. And uh, I'm, I'm still a certified teacher as well. And I just, in fact, renewed my certification. So I do take an interest in what's happening in the classrooms. I, I think that's important as well. Um, if we're making, like I said, if we're making decisions on curriculum, um, policy decisions or contract decisions, I think it's important that we see what's going on and understand what the teacher's perspective is of it, as well as the administrators. So, yeah. Um, so taking a, speaking of teachers and, and, you know, decisions that affect them, I know, and, and again, you know, I don't speak for everybody by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but the people that I talk to, there, there's a lot of questions about, uh, you know, what we're paying teachers, what the county's paying in, uh, in terms of benefits there, there are, Yes. A wide range of opinions in the public sphere, right? There are some people that say, oh, teachers are paid too much and they get all summer off. And, <laughs> and I think that's, you know, that's not right. Like, you know, I think that's, but then there's also people that say, you know, teachers, you know, they should make, you know, $300,000 a year and like, you know, only if we could, right? Like, you know, oh, but, truly, but, truly. but I think somewhere in the middle, you know, there, there is, there is a, a balance. Um, what, what's your, what are your thoughts in general on like, where the pay is for teachers and like, it, like, is it something that you would like to see teachers be paid more? I mean, uh -oh. obviously you don't speak for the whole school board. So let me just preface right, this for right. all the loonies that will try to say, yes. this is, you know. this, obviously with bargaining, et cetera, that's something that we don't, I wouldn't give you any details per se. We haven't sure. even started that process yet for this year. Um, from my perspective, I believe teachers should be paid more. I think it's, I had to sort of chuckle when you said, you know, there are a lot of people thinking that teachers are paid too much. And I'm, I'm thinking about many of the different posts I saw on Facebook during this pandemic about how teachers aren't paid enough right. and right. <laughs> take my children sort of thing. Yep. Um, it's, it's a teaching has never been, as you said earlier, teacher is now teaching has never been a lucrative career. People don't go into teaching to make lots of money. However, people should be paid what they're worth. And when we're talking about teachers and the number of students that they have in their classroom, the amount of work that they do that is not seen by your typical parent or person who's not in the classroom, the variations in the children with whom we're dealing, yep. um, you're talking about a job that encompasses counseling, teaching, feeding. And when I say that, I say that with an open heart. I mean, I used to maintain a cupboard in my classroom because there would be numerous, many children who would come to school and they wouldn't eat breakfast for whatever reason. They had the opportunity to go to the cafeteria. They may have come in late, They whatever. Everybody has problems in that respect. Um, school supplies, const I mean, they're just, there's just a lot that truly does come out of a teacher's pocket that yep. you don't realize. Um, we have done so much more for salaries and benefits in the last three years. When I first came on the board, in, 19, in 2016, excuse me, um, I had not, as a teacher, been given a substantial raise in years. The biggest raise that I got was from Governor Scott, 
and it was the last time he ran for governor. It was an election year. He decided to give all of the teachers a big raise, and that was it. We ended up getting smaller increases here and there, generally a $500 increase or something like that, um, but not substantial in any way. Since, and I, I checked on this recently because I thought, well, what have we given our teachers in the last number of years? We've increased the salaries of the teachers by something like $6 million. And we've also increased the salaries of the support staff by about $1.2 million. And last year we made a concerted effort to increase the benefits for our employees, the health medical benefits. And we, in, we added a $4 million increase to what we had been giving to that fund and realize that was the first increase in our contribution to medical benefits in, and when I say our, I mean the school board's decision to increase that. Right. Um, I wanna say it was for the past nine years, if I'm not mistaken. And when you think about the increase in all of those health costs had been on the teachers and on the support employees. Um, and when you're working for medical benefits and not for your livelihood, <laughs> that just seems to be turned around. Um, it should be a benefit and, and your employment should be paid accordingly. Are we in the right area right now for our teachers and our supports? We could definitely use more money for that. Sure. Um, but that's something that we have to work at on as a board as well, where we can get the money to be able to support that, those increases. Um, this year, Governor DeSantis said it was going to be the year of the teacher. And he was planning a pretty substantial increase for teachers. And unfortunately, the pandemic hit. Right. We have no clue what our budget's going to be yet. Yep. Yeah, because as of today, I don't think nobody he has, has heard what's coming the, down the pike. So yeah. we have no idea. Yeah, I don't think the governor has signed the budget as of as of when we're talking today. No. I haven't seen any news nope. on that. So, yeah, I mean, it's a it's a pickle, right? Like because it it is. You know, we talk and, about and it's not. Oh, I was just going to add, it's yeah. not just the teacher salaries; it's also the support staff right. salaries. When you're looking at our HVAC people, when you're looking at our plumbers, when you're looking at our custodians, when you're looking at our mechanics, when you're, I mean, there are jobs. The school district, as everybody knows, is the, is the largest employer for the county. Right. We have somewhere over a $400 million budget. 80% of that, Josh, goes to salaries. Yeah. And when you think about, whoa, that's, you know, so when we're making those adjustments, we have to be conscious of what we're taking from other areas as well. So, right. sorry. Right. Mm -hmm. I didn't mean to cut you off. Before. Oh, yeah, no worries. No worries. <laughs> uh, I, I, uh, and the 80%, that's salaries and benefits, right? That's not just the. Yes, the, yeah, yes, yeah, gotcha. yes. Salaries and benefits. Yes. Yeah. And, it, you know, it's in the problem. Well, I don't know if problem's the right word, but the, the, the uniqueness of running a large organization that is a government organization is that technically you're not selling a product or a service, right? 
Not that you're not providing it, you're not selling it. You're not going to to market with a product or a service and saying, hey, folks, if you pay me X amount of dollars, I'll give you X, Y, or Z, right? Your funding comes from tax revenue, right? Um, And and the state. Yeah, but even the state, you know, they tax. But that's the tax revenue, too, when you look at it, it's sales tax. So the problem is it's it's harder to, you know, a company can, can... iterate on a product or offer a new product line and say, Hey, I need to generate, you know, another hundred million in revenue to do X, Y, and Z with it, pay people more, more benefits, whatever. But you know, government agencies are sort of at the mercy of tax revenue. And I'm, you know, I'm as anti taxes as they come, but I also mm-hmm. understand when yeah, you're, understand. when yeah. you're a human being that's running the organization, right? Like that doesn't change the fact that there are people on the payroll right now who do have needs and, you know, you have to balance like just the basics of things like inflation, you know, oh, absolutely. and the cost of living increases. Like, well, you know, and, and in many respects, the state generates, the state balances that for us as well. I learned more. I mean, when I was at the University of North Florida as the director of admissions, it was an interesting study. I'd come from the, the private sector into the public sector. And when I was at UNF, it was an eye-opening experience to learn budgeting in the state of Florida. And I'm when the budget came to us, we were told you have this amount of money in operations and you have this amount of money in capital. And it took me a long time to really understand that, but I learned it well at UNF. Prime example, I was in charge of admissions and Hey, Mrs. Bolas. Ms. Bolas, I hate hate to interrupt you, but uh, I don't know if something's going on with my internet, but you're starting to break up a little bit. Can I call you at the number? I can still, I'm going to, I'll, in this recording, can I call you at the number that you called me at a little bit ago? Um, Absolutely. Yeah, I I just want to make sure everybody hears you. I don't want it to get too, uh, I understand. So, all right, we're good. We're recording. I learned a lot about it, um, budget when I was the director of admissions at UNF. There are two areas of budget throughout the state. You've got your capital funds and you've got your operational funds and then a variety of funds within each of those. I think the best example of the difference between those, when I was a director of admissions, I was responsible obviously for hiring folks for the admissions office and enrollment services. And they put freezes, they would put a freeze on positions. So they would approve a position, but then they'd put a freeze on it and say, we can't afford that. So don't hire anyone for that position. At the same time, they were building a multi-million dollar athletics recreation complex across campus. And it was incredibly frustrating to watch the money go into buildings, go into facilities. And here I am sitting there with open positions and no opportunity to fill them. Because it was the operational side that was frozen. So even though we have money available for different areas, it's not a simple, oh, we need more money for salaries, for instance. We can't just tap into operational funds and say, ooh, let's take some of that money and apply it over here. Right. It doesn't work that way. And it takes a lot, it, it's a difficult concept to understand because it appears that we have all of this money when in actuality, most of that money is already earmarked right. for whatever we're told we need to spend it on. 
Another yeah. good example, when we get money from the state, operational funds, everybody says, oh, you know, we made all this additional money from the state. They gave us these millions of dollars extra. Well, what's not always seen is that, yes, the state has given us that money. However, <laughs> they've earmarked it, and they have told us that this money is pass-through money for this program, or this money is applied to uh, this program, whatever program that might be. So even though it's money that looks like we get, we can't always use it the way we would like to. Yeah, so. the bureaucracy ties your hands, right? There's a little bit of red tape involved. Absolutely, with, you know, and, that, <laughs> and that's frustrating. Yeah, it's frustrating, and yeah, it, it, it's again, you know, <clears throat> people don't. I don't think people understand that. Like, right? That's that's an aspect of budgeting. You know, especially people in the business world who've never sort of dealt with government budgets. I don't think they understand Correct. that. Like, and if, that, you know, to go back to my mm-hmm. business analogy, if I get if I make five hundred million dollars off of the products and services I sell in a year. I can take that 500 million and pay whatever I want to pay to whomever I want to pay. So long as my budget works out in the end, right? Like I have freedom exactly. to, to fluctuate that money where it's, you guys don't um, like, what, what do you think? Like, are the, like, what's the biggest challenge that you guys face on the school board in creating a budget? Like what's the, the hardest like hurdle to overcome? Like what's the biggest, I guess maybe better word is hindrance. To, understanding all of the costs that are involved with, with, the activities and challenge—I mean, the challenges that meet us. For instance, the buildings right now. Um, Orange Park High School, I want to say, needed a new cooling unit or something <laughs> for their school for their for their air conditioning. Right. And you're talking about a one million dollar expense. And most people, most businesses, don't have a million dollars just sitting around waiting for you know. Right. Well, what can we use that on? So much of this, as I said earlier, is earmarked for specific things. When we purchase things, we look for the, the, we want the quality, but we also want to get that item, whatever that item might be, at the best price we can possibly get. So making certain that our people are paid, A, number one, absolutely. What are some of the other expenses that we have? I mean, when you look throughout the entire budget, you're talking about everything from paint to buses to buildings. When this outer beltway gets completed, you know, a lot of people say, yeah, well, you know, they say there's going to be a lot of growth, but who knows? It's coming. It's already planned. It's already approved. It is coming. We're going to need five new schools in like the next... 10 years? I'll say 10. I think that's actually overstating. I think it's shorter time than that. But if we need five new schools in 10 years, we just built Discovery Oaks, and that was a $22 million cost. Right. So five of those is over $100 million, right? At least. Yeah. At least. And then you have everything that goes into those schools. Yes. Yeah, and I've had some puzzling interactions with people over the last couple weeks. Apparently there is a faction of folks in the county that are really rallying around being anti-growth. And they're like, we want to know yes. which candidates are anti-growth and they're going to prevent the county from growing. And I'm like, that's, that's just not how, that's just not how life works, right? Like growth is going to come. It's just, how do you it's, manage it's, it? Like, how do you make sure it's that it's managing the growth? Yeah. That is exactly right. Yeah. That so is exactly right. I do want to play devil's advocate a little bit with you, right? On that particular topic. 
So there are mm -hmm. people, and I'm sort of one of them sometimes, where I have the question, like, you know, we have all these buildings, we have HVAC units, we have all this technology, and, and we have this, you know, actual, you know, <clears throat> capital expense, right? Like we have these. Yeah. And, and there are people that say we should have known that these air conditioners were going to break. We should have known that we would have <laughs> maintenance issues. And, and you know, and, and we should have known not necessarily the exact thing that was going to happen, but I guess the real question is. You need to plan for it. Yeah. That's right. It, why hasn't this been planned for better? Because what this, the half cent sales tax, which is going towards a lot of those things that need to be done, plus growth for new things, uh, right? The half cent, okay, the half cent sales tax, yes. Yes, yeah. you're absolutely right. That is that is that capital fund. You're right. absolutely right. And when that half cent sales tax starts getting um, advertised, the Ed First program, when that starts getting advertised, it is going to include every single solitary item that we're planning on spending that money on. Sure. That's a law. Yeah. I... And then we have to do exactly that. That is the law. <laughs> so yeah, it's I'm not with you something there, but where I... we can say, hey, you know, we said we were going to fix the water coolers at whatever. Well, we're not going to. We're going to go over to this other. Nope. That is the law. Um, there's a little history involved with this. Yeah. If you, I mean, you have to take it back to 2008, the last um, financial crisis, I think, that our country, a major financial crisis that our right. country had. When you look back to 2008, we had to give back to the state, and I might have to double check this number, but I want to say something to the tune of $40 million dollars. We had to pay our salaries. We had to do a lot of scrimping and saving, or, or actually scrimping. I'm not going to say savings because what happened was we reached into our um, reserves. And most counties and the state in general will say every county should have about a 5% reserve fund. That's for those expenses would be paid from gotcha. that's for those unexpected things that's our that's our savings account for the easiest way to look at it they cut that reserve fund to under three percent right and it sat there for a couple of years if i'm not mistaken and here again i'd have to check all this is this is me learning the history still sure. of our budget but when they cut that reserve fund, it literally knocked the knees right out of us. Because then when you do have these, these incredible expenses, you are not prepared to, I mean, if you don't have a savings account and you still have to pay the electric bill right. and you still have to buy food for your family and you have to pay your mortgage and you have to pay that car payment, those are some of the basic needs. And if you don't have a savings account and all of a sudden the AC goes out in your home, you either put it on a credit card and go into debt or give up something else, right? And that's basically what that reserve fund is for. So when we're looking at that, we, we try to plan as much as we can. We I don't want to say we pad the budget because that sounds awful, <laughs> but you we do plan. We plan for... Some of those additional expenses, we assume certain things are going to happen. When we started this year, we were told 
we were estimating that we would not get a lot of growth in the number of students that we had. The state encouraged us to go ahead and plan for increased growth of like 500 students or something like, around that figure. And so we planned, but we also planned accordingly thinking if we don't get those 500 students, we're going to have to give money back to the state. And so there is, there's a little bit of cushion there, but not huge amounts of money, not money that we can say, okay, we've saved this, you know, $50,000. So let's go and replace that water fountain over whatever, you know, the water fountains at W.E. Cherry Elementary or Argyle Elementary or whatever. It's, it's, it's literally a balancing act, as you had said earlier. It's just you have to try to plan, but it's not always a simple task. Right. And every budget starts new July 1st. It's like, okay, we're starting over now. Right. And we close out the budget from the previous year with the state, and we start over at July 1st. So. Yeah, it's not an easy task for sure. It's a complex mm -hmm. puzzle that has to be put together, you know, every year. Um, and of course, everybody is asking for that money. You know, I mean, right, right. <laughs> that's the other side of it. Well, I mean, you, so you there, there's legitimate balance. needs all over. I think, right? Like, the, you know, like at the, at the school board Absolutely. meeting last night, the uh, representative from the uh, the service employee union—I yeah. forget his name. Uh, the gentleman's name. He Lonnie. was talking about, mm -hmm. you know, the, the the reduction in staff that he's had to face, and the. Uh, uh, you know, how they're not, if you compare their pay versus, you know, outside sources, you know, in the, the exactly. private world, they're not competitive. And that's, I'm not saying that to, you know, you know, I'm not saying that to criticize or anything, but I mean, just sort of the fact of the matter, right? So there's needs there, but yep. then you also have, you know, uh, air conditioner units that are failing. You have roofs that are going to be and, leaky and you at need, some point. You, you need have, the people to be able to fix them. That's right. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't envy the task of anyone who has to deal with a budget that that's large <laughs> and, and that complex. I want to switch gears a little bit, if you don't mind. I want to talk okay. a little bit about uh, Common Core. So uh -huh. this is a thing that I think a lot of people talk about, and, and I'll be honest, even myself, I haven't talked about it a lot, but I don't, I'm not an expert on it by any means, um, right? Like, you are a, a, an educator, you know, and someone who's serving on the school board, I'd love mm -hmm. to know just in general, like, what are your thoughts on Common Core? When Common Core for, gosh, Common Core, by the way, has been around for well, almost 10 years now, I think. When you, it's, it's interesting. When you look at Common Core and how it started and started crossing the country, it's still very much used in many, many states. The whole intent of Common Core was to make it easier for families to move from one state to another and be able to step into a curriculum that is common. Right. Okay. Um, not always the case. <laughs> um, it was, it was an interesting perspective when we first started working with it and the state eventually said, okay, we're not going to do common core. We're going to do Florida standards. At the time, we were giving FCAT exams. Then when we decided to do Florida standards versus Common Core and throughout that that whole change around um, or interpretation of it, I'm going to use that word, they decided to change the tests and make them the FSA tests. Right. Those have been around for a while. 
And now Governor DeSantis has been elected. And one of his first priorities was to tell um, Mr. Corcoran, who is our DOE chairman, that he did not want the Common Core standards anymore. He wanted to change them to the BEST standards. They are called BEST, B-E-S-T now. Okay. And somewhere in my paperwork, I know I have what BEST stands for. I still haven't memorized that one off the top of my head. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so what they are doing is supposedly getting rid of Common Core and putting in the BEST standards. And they have already done that. And they have already started telling us that this is what's going to be happening. And, of course, with that, they will then change all of the standardized testing. Right. If you know anything about the cost of standardized testing, this is costing the state millions of dollars, or it will cost the state lots and lots of money in order to do this. Um, what I've heard, I have not gone through each and every standard. Um, I have heard from my teacher friends who have had the opportunity to review the new standards, that certain words are changed, but the basic concept is still there. So in other words, the words used to describe multiplication in fifth grade or division in fifth grade are still pretty much the same. But they might change a word or two so that it doesn't sound quite as Common core, I guess. Yeah, no, I, I'm with that. you. Yeah, they just, you know, they polished it a little bit and, and slapped a couple, they, they couple layers of paint in a couple. Of, yeah, some they changed. Some they changed dramatically. Right. Um, in reading, for instance, they actually are providing reading lists, recommended literature, that sort of thing, which is fine. That's good. Um, however. <laughs> Now that the standards are changing, they also then said, and this is one of the things we had a problem with when I was teaching, when we went from FCAT to FSA, they said, okay, we're changing the standards. However, um, we're not going to let you get any new curriculum quite yet. And we're rearranging the curriculum. Now, curriculum is generally updated every six years. Right. So, for instance, we just adopted a new science program, what, two years ago, if I'm not mistaken? Yeah, I believe it was. This year was supposed to be math. And they said, no, don't plan on doing math. Instead, do language arts, and math's going to hold off for a couple of years. So now we're going to get these best standards. They're going to be tweaked a little bit. So perhaps what we taught in fifth grade might be moved to fourth grade. What we taught in sixth grade might be moved to fifth grade. You know, you get my drift. And when that happens and you don't have the curriculum in hand to be able to teach it, right. you have to punt. It's like someone, and that's, someone, that's very, very frustrating from a teacher perspective. Yeah, absolutely. I can only imagine. It's like someone and uh, learns how to drive. Perspective. Yeah. yeah. It's like someone learns how to drive an automatic and then someone takes their car and gives them a stick shift and says, we're not going to teach yeah, you how exactly. to drive yeah. it until two years from now. Now, I have a question, mm-hmm. though, like the, what you just said, that that's great info. It actually brings me to a question that I, I guess I've always my impression of Common Core has always been not 
so much that it's a set of criteria that the state or a, a governing body uses to say, here's how we're going to teach. But I, I thought it was like a, a classroom methodology. Is there, is there, cause you always hear about like oh. common core math. Is that, is, am I wrong there or is that. There, and I wish I had my standards in front of me because I could tell you exactly what word was changed. There's a word that permeates throughout common core. And I don't know it off the top. I can't remember, recall what the word is actually, to be honest. Because the standards that we taught were different. Yes. When Common Core, I'll use, it, I'll use division okay. as a prime example. Most people will use addition and subtraction. Right. Borrowing and, you know. <laughs> okay, perfect example. Here we go. In subtraction, when I learned subtraction, I learned that you borrow from the number previous to the number that you're subtracting from. Does that make sense? Yep. In Common Core, it was taught more as a regrouping. So in other words, instead of borrowing from the 10 spot, you're regrouping the one spot to be 11 ones. Gotcha. Okay. In division. <laughs> division. <laughs> For granted, okay, I'm an older teacher, <laughs> but to me, division was long division was long division was long division, and you either knew it or you didn't. Right. I ended up teaching how many did I count I want to say okay there was the big seven method of division that was a new one that I learned and with some students just wow they really grasped it some students learned the long division easier some students learned um, an estimated division easier there were probably I want to say there were like four or five different ways that we I, I personally introduced division and I literally would say when we started this section, and that was a fear for children. When they came to fifth grade, they were fearful of long division. <gasps> we're going to learn long division. I remember and, that. And I, would, I remember I would having record. that fear. Yeah, you yeah. See? Absolutely. Yeah. That and algebra. <laughs> algebra terrified yeah, me. Also. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. And, oh, and we introduced X's and Y's in fifth grade, too, you know? So it's like, but that long division. And it was always so much fun to start division because we'd start simply, you know, right. 49 divided by 7 sort of thing. You know, you have to know your math, fact, your multiplication facts. Multiplication and division go hand in hand, whatever. Right. And then I would say, give them their first homework, and it was with the big 7 method normally. And I would say, okay, when you go home tonight, your moms and your dads are going to want to teach you a different way to do this. It's okay. Do not go home and say, Mrs. Bola said, I have to do it this way. Right. <laughs> I said, go home, let them teach you. And we're going to do this again tomorrow. Yeah. So if you come up with the same answer that other students come up with, wow, we're, we're going to learn how to do it differently. It's right. okay. There's yeah. not always one way to do things. You know? and, <laughs> so. and I think, and that's why I think like Common Core as a, when used as a, tool in your tool belt as a teacher to figure out how yeah. an individual kid learns. I think it's a great thing, but I, I think the problem that yeah. comes in is when, when a governing body, whether it's state, federal, whatever they comes know. in and says, yep. you have to teach every kid this way. And if you don't, you're not teaching up to, you know, what's, what's considered acceptable. Uh, and I think that's Nobody where, likes yeah. having Washington, whoever's in Washington, doesn't matter. No teacher likes having Washington tell them, this is how you have to teach. Right. 
And I think that's the greatest frustration because children don't learn that way. Yep. Children yeah. learn in a multitude of ways. And if it means giving them blocks to decide how to do things, how to divide things up evenly, giving them paper and pencil, giving whatever tool, you know, it's yep. like we all do things differently. <laughs> yep. As yeah. adults, we do it differently. So yeah, my we're opinion just trying on... to get them prepared to be able to figure it out for themselves. Absolutely. And my opinion on Common Core changed when finally, like, I, I, I watched a video or someone sh- showed me how Common Core math was done. I always thought growing mm-hmm. up that I was just a weirdo because I couldn't get long division and mm-hmm. other things the way that, like, all the other kids seem to understand it. So I, I like, devised different ways in my heads of, like, I, I can visually sure. see, like, grouping and, like, different things. And then yeah. I watched a video yeah. on Common Core Math, and that's how they were teaching it. And I was like, wait, this can't be completely evil because that's how my brain works. Like, my brain works the way that they're talking about here. So... <laughs> So, yeah, <laughs> you know, so it's interesting. I think Common Core is a thing I wish people would read up on more, right? I wish they would do a little bit of yeah. research and oh, try yeah. to understand it better before they sort of, you know, decide if it's good, bad, or indifferent. But right? it came it came down the – I mean, unfortunately, it was shoved down our throats. And had it been something that we could have discussed and said, okay, let's look at all of the opportunities here and all the different variations within it and how it's going to be taught. That, that's the other frustration. From a school board perspective, from a teacher perspective, we never have the time we need to implement new and different things. Does that make sense? Oh, it's yeah. like yeah. you get a new you get a new curriculum and you've got a summer to learn it. You know, it's right. like, and, and you can't okay, learn it during the school this, year, but, yeah. Yeah. you know, cause you're teaching kids like, and then you got to plan, you know, you, you have a, people don't understand that like teachers aren't just sitting in a room twiddling their thumbs, you know, with nothing to do. Like they have kids in their face and, and, and I think most teachers, you know, I would say the vast majority of teachers love kids and that's why they're in the profession. Exactly. But but you've got kids in your face all day and then you have to, you know, you have to work before or after school to get all the stuff done. And I've always tried to tell people that like most teachers I know, with the exception of a very small handful, um, are working a full year's worth of time in a nine month yeah. span. Right. So that summer that they're getting exactly. off, it's offset by longer hours, you know, during the year. Um, you know, so I, I just, you know, the daily life of a teacher is something I've always thought would be a fascinating like documentary or like reality TV show, mm-hmm. like, you know, just follow a teacher around and understand like the struggles and the things that they have to deal with. <laughs> Speaking of like things that were yeah. sort of forced down the pipe. Um, this one's a little different. The thing I want to talk about next distance learning. It, mm-hmm. it wasn't forced by the state because of like a curriculum change. It was forced out of necessity, uh, you know, with the current, you know, coronavirus That's craziness right. that we're dealing with. Do you feel like has, has distance learning turned into something that, do you, uh, you feel like is a, another tool in, a, in the district's toolkit to effectively educate, or do you feel like it's something that is a, a hurdle to overcome? Like how, how, I guess in your mind, how is that, what's that distance, been like? Okay. We were forced into distance learning. I think you said that best. Yep. I know that there are a lot of families who prefer it. We have, I, I was amazed in my last election when I was going door to door, I was amazed at how many homeschooled families I would run into. So there are people who do distance learning because they enjoy it. There are students who enjoy the distance learning. My son was in a gra- the graduating class back in the early 2000s. I'm going to say four, maybe. I don't even know what year he graduated from high school. <laughs> and he ended up taking, he was required to take a course online. 
he ended up taking PE online. And I was like, you're taking what online? <laughs> Wait, like physical education? Went, like that's what he that's Physical what he education. That's crazy. That's right. And I had to check in with the teacher. And, and my part of the parent was to check in with the, the teacher online once a week and verify that he said what he was doing, what he said he was doing. And he ended up, he was going to the gym every morning. He was going to the YMCA gym pretty much every morning, working out and then going to school. Huh. A friend would come and pick him up at like 5 a.m. They had a blast, you know? Oh. It was like, yeah, this is what we're doing. And it worked out beautifully. And he was able then to take other courses that he wanted to take at the high school. Right. In this particular situation, we were, so, I was so impressed. I was, I mean, we didn't say it enough last night. How impressed we were with how the students took this on, how the parents took this on, how the county took this on at the beginning, how the teachers stepped up. There were a lot of teachers who were very concerned oh, yeah. about their ability to be able to teach distance, you know, from a distance in that respect. Yep. But we really grasped it. Our concern, my concern now is we really have no clue as to what our numbers are going to be in the fall. Right. And that determines what our budget's going to be from the state. Yep. So we have to determine how many students are going to be in the brick and mortar schools. When we can start the brick and mortar schools, we don't even know that yet. Right. Our distance learning, I think we were very well prepared. We were very fortunate that we had taken the initiative to beef up our computer system with those Chromebooks. We have taken the initiative to beef up our schools with accessibility right. and IT accessibility is what I'm referring to. There were schools, there were parts of the county that we were concerned that parents and teachers or parents and students and teachers um, wouldn't be able to um, get connectivity. Right. And so we took the, the IT um, support of particular schools they're sort of like in a bubble and we expanded that bubble so that people could drive into into parking lots if they needed to sure. to get online um it was an interest it was i mean some of the stuff that we ended up with some and some of the questions and some of the activities that came up out of it were even unique right. there were a lot of I, mean, I shouldn't say a lot but there were a number of students who took advantage of the fact that they could do it online. Yeah, I'm sure. And if you're doing something online, then you can have your friend do it for you. Yeah, you're going to have people that <laughs> Yeah, you're going to have people that do that no matter what, right? There's there's exactly. kids there's kids gaming the and system. And yeah, usually yeah. in a classroom you can see when someone's cheating, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah but even homework, you know, you send the homework done. Oh, you know, absolutely. You know, if yeah. I'm I'm a 5th mm -hmm. grader and I've got a 6th grader that's a the brother of mine and, you know, I I you know, bribe my bu yep. brother into doing my long division homework, you know, who's going to know, right? Sure, it's hard to tell sure. those things. Um, I get it right, but then I have to take that test. <laughs> yeah, I will, you know, I, I can't imagine any, you know, it, it, it is pretty amazing to pivot the speed and the efficiency that the, the school system was able to pivot, um, you know, from, from being on, you know, on campus, uh, finding out on a Friday as people are going home, thinking they're coming in on Monday, to, to yeah. you know pivoting to, to doing distance learning yeah. throughout the end of the school year it's pretty it's pretty impressive um, just from a and logistics taking standpoint it to the end of the school year that was 
Yeah. I mean, I remember talking with Mr. Brosky when this was first happening. And, you know, he calls each of us, not in, in a meeting. He calls us individually. And I'm talking to him and I said, look, we're okay if we just have to do a week before or a week after spring break. Not a problem. You know, it's one week. We've got the time with the state. So, you know, our hurricane days and things. So we should be good. You know, we should be good. Right. <laughs> it turns out to be, what, two months? You know, so it's like, wait a minute. Yeah. Yep. Almost three months. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. Even the fact that, you know, we the district handed out expensive computer equipment to hundreds mm-hmm. upon hundreds, if not thousands of people. And at least I haven't heard, you know, uh, anything about like there being any issues with like people just returning that. Right. Like, just think of that. Just they, like the, the trust. Back. Yeah. They, the, the trust that it was, that, it was come back and drop off your Chromebook and you can pick up your stuff from your desk and that, that jacket that's been sitting on the back of your chair all year because the air conditioning hits you in the back of the room or right, whatever. Right. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. All right. I got two more things for you. You spent a lot of time with me. Sure. And I'm very appreciative. Just in general, these are sort of quick hit uh, topics. Um, um, yeah. Term limits. So a lot of people have opinions on term limits. I'm for them, but, yeah. you know, whatever. It's one of those things to me that's it's not a deal breaker in any sort of discussion with me. Like I, I think they're a good idea. Other people mm-hmm. don't. Where does Mary mm-hmm. Bola stand on term limits? It's interesting. That's an interesting question. And it's one that it's not a yes, no question for me. It's a question that says, what's the term going to be? Ah, is it going to be eight point. years? Is it going to be 12 years? Right. Because there are a number of school districts in the state of Florida that have two term limit, um, what's the word, two-term limit limits that are in, in play. And what happens in those school districts is that there are t- years, there are certain years where they have an entirely new school board. And that's not necessarily always healthy because a lot of things, you know, I read Facebook and whatever, and, oh, get rid of everybody and start new. Well, it doesn't work that way. We have, they, they have spaced out our elections so that there's a turnover. If there is a turnover, it's every couple of years anyway. I think a lot of people would say, well, the ideal term limit would be to either get voted back on the school district, school board or voted off. Right. And if you're doing a really poor job, hopefully you're voted off. Um, unfortunately, not everybody pays attention. Right. So when they see, you know, it's like, okay, well, <laughs> um, I, I guess, as I said, it determines, it really depends on the term. I, it, I guess, sure. I, uh, am I in favor of term limits? Sometimes and sometimes yeah. not. Okay, fair enough. So it sounds <laughs> like... The- answer and I apologize, but it's, it, that's exactly how I feel. I like the fact that we have some historical perspective involved. Right. And that is, that can be invaluable. Yeah, and, and okay. I think, like, the way the way I look at it, like, if something were to come on the ballot where they wanted to limit an office to one term, I would say that's probably not a good idea, right? Like, you know, it, we can't, we can't turn and burn. It took two years to really understand this job. It was a new job. Yeah. And, uh, and it and, really, it takes some time, yeah. Yeah, but if, you know, a ballot initiative came and it said, you know, uh, you know, like three terms or 12 years was the max, then, you know, I'd probably lean more towards yes on that. Right. Like, so it's, uh, I would, um, yeah, I would lean towards yeah. that. Sure. Mm-hmm. And you know, people's opinions change. And again, to me, it's not a huge, huge thing, but like, it's a question that people ask me and I'm, you know, I just 
tool around on Facebook mm-hmm. and try to get people's opinions on stuff and see. I, I try to spark conversation and I play devil's advocate a lot, so I'll sort of take a counterpoint in an argument just good. to see yeah. how people yeah. people react. Um, you know, and, and that's, you're making that's, us think, Josh. <laughs> well, some people don't like that though. Some people no, you know, it's scary to some folks, but you know what can you do, right? All right, last thing I want to know uh, where you stand on it, if you can, or just your general thoughts on it, right? Um, there's been mm-hmm. conversations about appointed superintendents versus elected superintendents. I'd love to know your thoughts on that. I am in favor of appointed. We oh, we have been fortunate in Clay County. We have had educators who have been able to step up to the plate, who have been able to handle the superintendent's position. I didn't realize the extent of the superintendent's position until I got on the school board. And from that point on, I chose, I truly, truly am in favor of appointed. I do not like giving away my vote on things. I like to be able to vote. However, we're talking about a multi-million dollar business, and it is educating our most precious commodity. And if we're not able to have someone in that position with appropriate experience, then we're not doing our children any favors. And do you think partly that way maybe, and I've heard some people say this, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but this is just sort of a follow-up question. Is it it advantageous to have an, an appointed superintendent because there are so many other districts in the state that have appointed. So we have a problem. I don't care about the other districts. I care about our kids. Well, I guess my question I is. I know that there are plenty. I, I know what are, I think it's 20 of us who elect our superintendent. I don't, that's, it is, I mean, if you want, if you want the best person for the job and I can, you know, you hire them. You find the person that you want, and you hire them. And then they continue to do their job. Do you make them go through the whole application process every four years? That's a good point. Yeah. yeah. I don't. But I guess my if question somebody's was... somebody's doing their job well... Sure. Now, granted, a lot of people say, yes, but then the school board's going to make the... De- the school board will make the ultimate decision, but guess what? The community is going to be involved in vetting all of the candidates that who whatever committee brings in. The school board won't be involved with that. And when it comes down to here are the four or five options that we're going to give the school board, or maybe the three options, or even the two options, those two options, if the committee and the, and the community does it right, those final two options are interchangeable. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Would you be in favor of having some sort of process where there's an advisory board or, or a group of people that are, you know, they have a hand in vetting the candidates that are from the community, that are parents? Oh, or absolutely. Okay. Uh, that would hmm. be, re- I think that's required. That's interesting. That it would, it would not. And the school board should not be part of that at all, at all, because they're going to vote on it ultimately. Oh, I like that. What idea. happens is, and and furthermore, I I would like to start with a headhunting group first. 
I want to go to the nation and say, find us candidates that can bring this, that can come to the table and want to, you get a lot of people who want to move. I used to do this always in, at UNF, people who want to move to Florida, you know, right, right. <laughs> but are they really qualified? And, and you find that some of your most qualified candidates are right here in the state because they understand the state of Florida. The state of Florida is unique to the state of Wisconsin or the state of California or the state of Washington or whatever. Sure. So you have a headhunting group or whatever, a search, a search committee is basically what it is. And you might have a company as part of that search committee. When you're thinking, well, do we want to spend the money? Do you want to spend the money to find the brightest and the best? Yes. <laughs> you know, that's the bottom line. We want somebody who's going to come and run our school district the way it should be run. Someone who's got educational experience, someone who's got the wherewithal to know how the state of Florida runs or another state organization, perhaps. I mean, that's it. I just think it would make sense. And yeah. the committee does most, the committee does all of the work. And then they present that final, like I said, that final group of two or three to the school board. You bring the candidates in. When I went for an interview at the University of North Florida for the director of admissions position, they interviewed me for two solid days. It was not just a, come on in, have a seat. Oh, sure. yeah, you sound like you're good. Two days of meeting with all of the vice presidents, all of the academic programs, all of the, right. the people in power, you know? Yeah. It was not a simple decision. And that's exactly what we would have to do as well. That's interesting. I, I, I got to admit, that's a perspective on it. I don't think I, I've heard anybody else share. So you've given well, that's, me. That's how it should be done. Yeah. That's my perspective. But you, that, you know, hey. No, no. <laughs> what it's worth. <laughs> you, you've given me something to think about. So that's that's interesting. Um, all right. Last thing I've got for you. Uh, essentially, yep. you have an open mic. Tell the people of Clay County why they should reelect you to the school board. I feel that I have done a tremendous job in the last four years. Our, as a team, our school district has raised the bar. We have improved our graduation rates. We have maintained our A district level two years in a row now. We brought it up from a B. We've improved our rank in the state from, I believe it was 18th in 2016 when I first came on the board. And the last couple of years we've been in the, we've been eighth in the state. Our goal is to get close to St. John's County, which is first. I just think that we have so much potential in Clay County. We've done so much good in the last four years. And I'm asking the voters on August 18th to vote for me so that we can continue doing great things for our children.